What's going on? Welcome into the Sharp Angle Podcast. On today's show, we'll break down the eight play-in series in the NHL. I'll handicap each series, give you guys a bet for each series, and let you know who I think will be winning their way into this year's playoffs. Let's do it. This is the Sharp Angle. Every day on your favorite podcast player. Special thanks to Sportsbet MVP online, sportsbetmvp.ag great online sports book and we're going to be talking a lot of hockey coming up here the next couple of weeks if you guys want a good sports book to bet hockey not just the main markets but a lot of derivatives so many player props and if you guys know players well start to get involved by building your own props you can only do that at least it's it's rare that you can do that at any sports book but you can do that at sportsbetmvp.ag use promo code social when signing up that's mvp excuse me, sportsbetmvp.ag on Twitter at sportsbet underscore MVP. All right, so like I said, on today's show, we're going to break down all eight play-in series in the NHL. We're not going to break down the individual games that you're going to be seeing in the round robins. I may have some handicaps for that next week, may have some bets for that over the weekend, but we're going to stick with the play-in games. Now, for those who don't know, There are already four teams in both the East and West who have claimed their spot in this year's playoffs. The West, it's the Colorado Avalanche, St. Louis Blues, Vegas Golden Knights, and the Dallas Stars. In the East, the Boston Bruins, Tampa Bay Lightning, Washington Capitals, and Philadelphia Flyers are already in the playoffs. Those top four teams are going to have a round robin in each. So there's going to be a round robin between the West teams, the Blues, Avs, uh, Stars, and Knights. And there's going to be a round robin between the East teams, the Lightning, Capitals, Flyers, and uh, uh, Bruins. Those round robin matchups will determine the one, two, three, and four seeds in each the in, in each uh, the West and East. Then it's up for the final remaining four seeds in both division or uh, both conferences to win their way in. So there are eight series. Those are the series we're going to break down today. All, every series is best of five. So keep that in mind. Best of five. If you lose the best of five, you're out. If you win the best of five, you are in the playoffs. Now we're going to go, like I said, uh, through through each uh, matchup. The East first, the West second. I'm going to give my series pick for each series. So I will make a pick every series. And uh, there are some factors that we have to pay attention to. So... Again, this is a best of five series, which is the definition of small sample size. If you guys are looking for small sample size, this is it, which means really anything can happen. If you're looking at a series where three games wins it, this is going to be a lot of luck that we're, that we're watching, right? That's not something we like to bet into, but it's the truth. There's going to be a lot of you know, freak things that happen that, that decide individual games, which will in turn probably decide the series. So best of five anything can happen. We're going to keep that in mind when we're going through these series, right? But we have, we can't ignore that. It's a best of five series definition of small sample size. These teams have to shake off the rust, right? The teams who do that the best will play best, especially early on. So I'm looking for who can shake off the rust, who plays best together, and who's who, who's ready to go in terms of endurance. Who is who's been uh, working out? You know, We will see that quickly. And we kind of saw that in the one preseason game or warm-up game a lot of these teams played that some teams are ready to go some teams are not and the home ice you know I saw this in in basketball I saw it in soccer home court advantage home field advantage home ice advantage was ruled in early and then made its way out I think they will make that adjustment for hockey I don't think we see much home ice advantage at all but there is one thing to, to remember in hockey the home team gets the last change the last uh, uh line change Every other sport tries to incorporate some things here or there. Some sports don't at all. But 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 there's a couple, like, like baseball, right? They give the home team the last at bat so they know how many runs they have to win, uh, uh, score to win, so on and so forth. That's not really an advantage. I mean, sometimes the home team doesn't even bat last because they're winning. You know, it, it, it would be an advantage in baseball if the home team got one extra half inning, right? It's not really an advantage. Well, hockey is the only sport where there's a true advantage for the home team. They get the last change. So... Everything that happens before the faceoffs, whoever's quoted or whoever's designated the you know the home team for that game, 
will get the last change. Now, that's all before the face-off. After the puck drops, they can match lines, but that is a slight advantage, and we have to mention it, just like these other things. Like, again, best of five series, gotta mention it. You know, uh, uh, the home the home ice uh, last change, gotta mention it. Will it make a huge impact? Probably not, but these are things that you have to pay attention to, and these are factors that you should take into account when you're handicapping these games yourself. All right, let's waste no more time. Dive right into it. Our first game we're going to be breaking down. Let's start off in the East, and we're going to do the New York Islanders and the Florida Panthers. Now, let's start off by talking about the style of these two teams. The New York Islanders are a defensive team. They like to slow things down. They like to they like to make these games boring, frustrating, and just win with their defense. Now, that's not to say their forwards can't put up points. Matthew Barzell, Jordan Eberle, Anders Lee, these are good forwards. Matter of fact, if all three of those forwards were playing on Florida, I'm sure they would have, you know, twice the points they have now. But because they play in this New York Islanders system, they're kind of reserved, forced to hold back a little bit, which is fine because it means if it means New York is winning, that's really the bottom line. And Barry Trotz is good at getting this point across. It seems like from the moment he walked in the door, New York Islanders started playing this kind of hockey. So they want to slow things down. They want to win with their defense, and they certainly can win with their defense. Now, Florida, on the other hand, does not play that style. Florida's open, not the most disciplined team. They love getting up and down the ice. They love they love offense. But I, I don't see the structure. I don't see the defense. I don't see the discipline. Now, this season has not been what Joel Quenville expected. Florida, honestly, if you ask me, looked just like Florida for a lot of the season. And what that means is when Joel Quenville stepped in, we just mentioned Barry Trotz going to New York, how things changed immediately. That's not what happened here. When Joel Quenville went to Florida, when he stepped through the door, I thought, okay, we're going to see a more disciplined team. They're going to stress defense. They're going to, you know, sh- they're going to put a, uh, they're going to stop a lot of those mistakes that we've been used to seeing Florida make. But honestly, for much of this season, they were making those same mistakes, making those same mental errors, you know, uh, getting penalties for too many men on the ice. I mean, really bad breakdowns on defense. And Joel Quenville was frustrated, but I never saw anything change or materialize all year long, especially with the blue line for Florida. So that is a cause for concern. And again, this is not the season that Joel Quenville thought he would get. I think you can really learn a lot from the the warm-up game. In most uh, most sports, most seasons, the warm-up game, the preseason, whatever it is, even like in basketball, those uh, the three uh, warm-up games they had before they started back up, you really can't take too much from those games, okay? At least I think so. But it's different in hockey because, well, actually, it's not different in hockey because the sport of hockey, it, what they did this year and for this uh, kind of unique situation was different because the players had only one game to get ready. The coaches had only one game to warm up. I think we can learn a lot from that one game. If it were two games, three games, four games, fine. But a lot of these teams treated that one game like their last regular season game. I mean, you learned a ton. Players were playing hard. The the, the goalies were out. I mean, it seemed like max effort from every team. Usually in, in the preseason, it's like, yeah, whatever. If, if a certain team loses 4 nothing, 5 nothing, not a big deal. But I think if they did during these games, you can certainly take a lot from that. Now, the Islanders really showed up in their preseason game. They had a great showing against the uh, New York Rangers, who a team they kind of struggle with, to be honest. And I think what that showed is the Islanders are ready when they come back from this break. They First of all, they're capable of playing that frustrating shutdown defense we saw at the beginning of the season. But it kind of faded through the year, right? Like, as we got closer and closer to the break, the Islanders weren't looking that good, especially defensively. This break allows the Islanders to take a deep breath, get healthy, readdress what's important to allow to allow this team to win. And you saw that in the first game. Now, I, I know I can hear you guys right now. It, it was only the, the, the warm-up game. Don't take that much out of it. And I'm not going to put all my stock into that game alone, but that did show me that, if anything, Florida is ready to come back and play that defensive-style hockey that we saw fade for a little bit, a little bit of the season. And the Islanders were very banged up. Let's not forget how injured they were. They were just like uh, like like Burnley in the Premier League. And <laughs> for those who don't uh, watch soccer, I apologize, but I'm going to make a soccer analogy here. There's a team called Burnley in the Premier League. Same thing happened to them. They kept getting injured, kept getting banged up, and they kept winning games. Okay, maybe they weren't winning as much toward the break, like I said with the Islanders, but they were definitely playing above where a lot of people would have had them with all those injuries. I mean, I remember at one point in the season, I think their whole first line was injured. The, the, the Islanders, and they were still doing very well. 
Now let's get over to Florida. The Florida Panthers have been very good this year offensively. Okay, Alexander Barkov, who at one point, you know, six months ago, was the most underrated player in the league. Now everyone talks about Barkov. Alexander Barkov, uh, Jonathan Huberdo, Mike Hoffman. By the way, Hoffman's leading the team with 29 goals. Talk about a good offense. There is serious firepower at the top of Florida's offensive uh, roster. But I'm just, here's the thing. They have the roster to score, like I said. But I'm not sure they have the roster to stop New York when the Islanders do choose to attack. I mean, obviously they have Aaron Eckblad, but who else can they really rely on? And I'm sure someone out there be yelling, yeah, what about you know Keith Yandel or Mackenzie Wieger? But, I mean, come on. Do we really trust those guys in a playoff-type atmosphere, playoff-type situation with an Islanders team who's been there before? I mean, last year they knocked out the, the, the Penguins in the first round when the Penguins wanted to do really what the, the, the Panthers are going to want to do this series. So while Florida has an impressive offense, I'm wondering if we're going to see that offense at all. In this, uh, in this series. Florida's also going to have to dig deep and really play a style that they don't want to play. Now, here's the thing with this, one, with this series. I think everything in this series comes down to the team who controls the flow will win this series. If we see some up-and-down affair where there's a lot of shots and it's a very you know fast, exciting game or uh, series, the Florida Panthers are going to win, right? If this is an exciting series, expect Florida to win. If it's a boring series, a lot of defense, low-scoring games, there's no doubt in my mind the Islanders match up so well in that type of uh, scenario, the Islanders will win. So the series or the type of uh, hockey we see this series will will determine the winner. I really believe that. This break gave the Islanders a chance to take a breath, get healthy, re-stress the importance of defense in their game. Meanwhile, Florida only lost two of the last 10 games before the break. They were finally putting it together. It's not like Florida had a great season. They had a great end of the season before the break. So I think, if anything, they finally caught that momentum. The last thing Florida wanted was a break. And they had to wait a couple months to play again. So I see a slow start for Florida, and I see New York ready to go out of the gates. New York's goalies are great. Semyon Varlamov, Thomas Grice. With the goalies, I think here's the thing with the Islanders. We can expect to see next season... Uh, uh, Sorokin, he's coming in next year, right? Which will likely knock Thomas Grice out of this lineup. So Thomas Grice needs to have a great playoff showing. He's going to be an unrestricted free agent next year. And they're probably going to alternate goalies every game or every couple games. I don't see them riding Semyon Varlamov for the whole series. So expect Thomas Grice to get some time. And believe me, I think these two goalies are neck and neck. I don't think Grice is worse than Varlamov at all. And when he does get an opportunity, I expect him to show up big in, in uh, Thomas Grice. Now, Florida, obviously, uh, Sergei Bobrovsky is their goalie. He's going to start. But Bobrovsky had one of the worst years of his entire career. He looked awful this year. Chris Drieger was actually the better goalie. But here's the thing. Bobrovsky will play this series. A lot comes down to Sergei Bobrovsky. If he has a good series, if he has a great series, I think Florida wins. He could really win this series for Florida. He honestly can. If he if he turns it on, plays classic Bobrovsky hockey like we've seen the last six years, then, I mean, Florida should, you know, be a little heavier priced here. But I don't think that's the case. I think there's a reason why Bobrovsky didn't have a great year, and it's not all him. This defense did not play well in front of him, and if anything, I would blame the defense more than I would Serge Bobrovsky. And as a free agent, he had a lot of options, a lot of places to go. The fact that he went to Florida... It was interesting. So a lot comes down to Bobrovsky. He can win this series for Florida, but I don't think he will. Overall, I believe Barry Trotz, the New York Islanders, control the flow of this series. They slow things down, and I think the Islanders end up doing what it takes to get the win here. I'm going to go Islanders winning the series. Uh, Minus 115 is pretty much the market consensus right now. New York Islanders, minus 115. All right, on to the next series. Pittsburgh Penguins and the Montreal Canadiens. Now, everyone and their mother is going to be on Pittsburgh this game, or this series, but so am I. Sidney Crosby has had injury concerns, even recently, but he seems good to go. And even without Sidney Crosby, I want to mention this, the Pittsburgh Penguins don't seem to miss him at all. Their stats don't change much. Their win-loss record doesn't change much. Matter of fact, I think they had a little bit of a better win-loss record this year. That's not saying they're a better team without Sid the Kid, but 
when he comes back in the lineup or when he's gone from the lineup, they seem to be just fine. It seems like he's going to be ready to go. It seems like he will be fine. First line. No, no, no time missed. No issue. But even if he's not, I don't think we should downgrade the possibility of him being injured at all. They're fine with or without him. Obviously an upgrade with him. But well, I say that, and as I say that out loud, it's like, but the stats say you don't need to. So I guess it's not an upgrade with him. It's a perceived upgrade with him. But really, I mean, it's Sidney Crosby. Like, we, we shouldn't downgrade him for coming back to the lineup. So if it is a wash, then I guess we can sort of ignore that fact. I mean, if, even if it is an upgrade, then we will slightly, slightly upgrade with Sidney Crosby. The downgrade isn't near enough to bring me off of the Pittsburgh Penguins for this series. Avedjnu Malkin will be moved to second-line center, obviously, with uh, Crosby coming back. This is a crazy good roster. Their third line, by the way, will be Jared McCann in between Patrick Marlowe and Patrick Hornquist. That's like a top 15 second line. Okay, this is probably the best overall healthiest roster going into the playoffs, maybe besides the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, Their defense, while injured on and off during the year, is healthy, ready to go, with Chris Letang, obviously, uh, leading the defense. Very, very good overall defense, though. It's not all Letang. Very good roster defensively. Montreal doesn't have much past their first line. I mean, I don't think it's all about losing Max Pacioretty, okay? I don't want to stress that fact. They're happy without without Pacioretty. Uh, Tatar, Suzuki have actually had really good years. So that's sort of behind them. I think, well, look at Tatar. He leads the, the team in points and assists, tied for the most in goals. They just need more out of their second and third lines. And I mean, that's a big factor. And that's what a lot of this series is going to come down to. Can they get scoring from the second and third line? Max Domi will be playing. And that was a big question mark. Uh, For those who don't know, Max Domi has type 1 diabetes and uh, celiac disease, but he has opted to play for Montreal, and it looks like the NHL is going to let him play. So right now it's weird. He's slotted to play in their fourth line, but something tells me that won't last long at all. He could be a big factor for Montreal if he works his way up to the uh, uh, third or even second line. But even so, they need a lot more production out of those lines. And, you know, it's not going to be all Max Domi, even if he does move up there, contributing. So they need more overall from those players. Now, when you look at the power play, Montreal is terrible on the power play. They're scoring 17% of the time. Compare that to a team like uh, uh, the Oilers. They're first overall. They're scoring 30% of the time. Again, Montreal scoring 17% of the time on the power play. That's not good against the Pittsburgh team, who's eighth on the penalty kill. Okay, so if if Montreal finds themselves in the box, this is going to be a long series for them. Or actually, maybe a, a rather short series in favor of Pittsburgh. So here with Montreal, I think they need to start using Philip Denault on the power play. He doesn't play on the power play right now, yet he's their first-line center. I think what they need to do is get him in there, allow him to take some of those face-offs, and uh, put Nick Suzuki on the second-line center. That, I think, would help things for Montreal, but they're probably not going to do that. They're going to stick with what they had in the regular season, keep Nick Suzuki at that first-line center, and I don't see the production ramping up at all in the playoffs, especially, like I said, against Pittsburgh, who is uh, eighth overall in the penalty kill. In goal for Pittsburgh, it's either going to be be, uh, Matt Murray or uh, Tristan Jari. Now, Jari's having the better season, but Matt Murray has the uh, experience, right? He has two Stanley Cup rings. He's been in a lot of these situations. So I think probably Murray should get the nod early on, but it's not a downgrade at all if we see Tristan Jari. They are in a great spot with their goalies, uh, no matter who who they put out there. This is not really like the Islanders situation. The Islanders have Thomas Grice, Simeon Varlamov. I think actually Grice and Varlamov are both better than both these two goalies. So, you know, it's not like these are two all-stars or anything like that, but they're both very serviceable goalies. Tristan Jari, as I said, better during the season, but I believe Matt Murray gets the nod because he has experience. Uh, Carey Price will will be in net for Montreal. There, there's really nothing else to talk about there. Carey Price should play every single game. And if Montreal is going to win this series, it's because Carey Price is going to have a monster series. But even if he does have a, a you know a big couple games, I still see Pittsburgh winning this thing. They're just too good. And remember, Pittsburgh, uh, they ended the, well, not the season, but kind of before the break, Pittsburgh was 3-7. and seven. They were not trending in the right direction. Now, I'm not going to downgrade Pittsburgh, but... Let's look at a fact. If they weren't three and seven, let's say they were five and five, they wouldn't have slid down past that four seed. They would be in the round robin right now. 
So because of that three and seven final ten games when they were pretty injured, that's what that's what's making them play Montreal in this in this playing series. I mean, I can't get over how truly dominant Pittsburgh can be. I look at their potential. I look at how good they are on paper. Maybe that's going to get me in, in trouble here, but I think minus two twenty five is still a good price. We'll go Pittsburgh minus two twenty five on the series, and let's start uh, actually kind of differentiating these because I'm going to force a pick for every series, but I will let you guys know which ones I like the most. The New York Islanders minus one fifteen for the series is one of my favorite. Bet. So I love the Islanders bet. This Pittsburgh one, a bit of a force. If I had to go in one direction, I would take Pittsburgh. Uh, so just wanted to, to uh, kind of differentiate that. All right, let's move on. Next series, the Carolina Hurricanes and the New York Rangers. Let's start here with the matchup. Carolina's 0-4 against the Rangers this year, and they are 2-6 against the Rangers going back to last season, which is strange at first because Carolina does well what the Rangers don't do well, right? New York is 24th in the penalty kill, 23, 23rd in goals allowed per game, while Carolina's 8th on the power play. They're a top 10 scoring team. They generate a lot of shots on goal. But New York frustrates Carolina. They don't let the Hurricanes play their game. Let's talk about the Rangers. They've got everything and more from uh, Artemi Perinen. He has had a great season. When we hit the break, he was 20 points above anyone else on the roster. Probably on his way to his first 100-point season of his entire career. But that overshadowed Mike Zingibad, who himself was having a career year. You add in Chris uh, uh, Chris uh, Kreider, the second-highest-rated player on the roster, according to my rankings. You've got Ryan Strom, the second-line center. This is a good roster. They are actually far better up top than a lot of people think they are. They just don't have great depth past the second line. Carolina, on the other hand, really overperformed this year, even though they have talent throughout the roster. Carolina was so dominant this year in shots that I think that's a a big reason why they have the record they do right now. I don't want to downgrade Carolina too much. I think this is a good overall team. But when you look at their stats, they are second in the NHL in shots allowed. They are, well, second best in shots allowed, right? They are third best in total shots I promise you, Carolina's not that dominant. We usually see that kind of a dominant performance from these great teams like the Avs or the, the, the Blues or the Lightning, the, the, you know, the Capitals, not from Carolina. And you may say, well, maybe Carolina is that good. Maybe they're, no, no, they're not. What I'm seeing from Carolina is they're really reaping the rewards from Sebastian Ajo. And I think that Ajo is relaxed this year. He's playing a, a bit different. I believe it's because... They sealed up all that contract nonsense in the offseason. He's finally playing, you know, knowing he's going to get paid without worrying any, without worrying about any of that financial stuff. And he's just playing hockey. So I think that's a big deal for Sebastian Ajo, and that's rubbing off onto other players. But that doesn't mean necessarily this is even a top five, top ten offense, really. You know? Uh, when you look at the uh, Rangers, Brendan Lemieux is suspended. So he's going to be out for a couple games. That's a big loss for the Rangers. Uh, he had a a bad hit on uh, uh, Jonas uh, Donskoy, who plays for the Avs, uh, before the break. So Lemieux's going to be out for two games. Uh, Did I mention he's the son of Claude Lemieux? It's like, oh, really? It surprises me. Lemieux's actually better offensively than most people think, and he will help once he comes back. The only hope for him is that he's not coming back when the Rangers are down 0-2 in the series. Let's look at goalies. The New York Rangers have a lot to figure out when they're talking about their goalies. We all know about Henrik Lundqvist, right? I mean, this guy's a vet. He's been with the Rangers forever. One of the best goalies at his prime. But Igor uh, Igor Shesterkin, yep, that's it. I got that right. Igor Shesterkin has had a great season. He's 10-2 with a 93.2 save percentage. Like, wow. Don't you think he has to play? Don't you think they have to give the nod to Chesterkin. I believe so. And it's going to be weird if Lundqvist is on the bench, but I think that's the direction they have to go. We didn't even mention Georgiev, who's 17-14-2 on the year, okay? So the Rangers have some figuring out to do. I would imagine we're going to see Igor Chesterkin out there, but if it is Lundqvist, I don't think this team is going to be demoralized at all. For Carolina, Peter Mrazak, uh, James Reimer, look, these are both pretty good goalies. They're both above average. Nothing special about either one of them. Mrazek should get more games, but both are capable. The goal Goaltending actually is very close between these two teams, but I'll give the slight edge to the Rangers, especially if Shesterkin plays and 
plays similar to how he did before, obviously. So uh, before we give a, a pick for this series, I want to talk about the coaches. Rod Brindamore is a much better coach than I thought he would be. Now, I'm not saying he has this you know huge edge over David Quinn for New York, but it can't be ignored that Rod Brindamore kind of has this weird magic that as a handicapper, it scares me sometimes because it's really tough to quantify those kind of things. But he's got a way of talking to those of that roster. I always imagine him in like a like a Friday Night Lights pregame situation where he's just pumping these guys up pregame because I don't know what they're doing. Maybe maybe he's giving him some of that, you know, water boy tackling fuel. In the in the in the locker room, I don't know what it is, but he seems to fire them up, and that's always a question mark when handicapping the Carolina uh, Hurricanes. But I'm going to go with the underdog for this series. We're going New York Rangers plus 130. The Rangers struggle with teams who like to slow it down, and Carolina most certainly does not like to slow it down. So it's not a bad matchup for the Rangers. I think if they can create some goals and frustrate Carolina like they usually do, they could come up on top here. This is not one of my bigger bets. Uh, you know, this is uh, kind of one for the show. But if I had to pick a direction, we're going New York Rangers plus 130. All right, let's get on to the next series. What do we got next? Toronto Maple Leafs and the Columbus Blue Jackets. Columbus has played so well this year. I think Columbus is probably the single highest, most overperforming team in the league compared to where I had them before the season started. And I got to give all the credit to John Tortorella. Wow. I mean, it seems like wherever this guy goes, he's going to do a couple things. He's going to ruffle the the feathers of the media and he's going to make his team better. John Tortorella deserves a lot of credit for what the Blue Jackets are doing right now. And I don't want to take away from their roster. They, they've certainly had some good performances this year. You look at uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois, Oliver Bjorkstan. I mean, they've had Great year on the first line, as well as the power play. Cam Atkinson needs to have a big series on the second line if Columbus is going to win. You know, he was hurt for a lot of the year. A lot of people, I mean, more people make excuses for Cam Atkinson than I've ever seen in my life. We know he was injured, but he has to show up in this series, right? It's like if he has a bad series, a couple points here or there, they lose. It's just, oh, well, he was hurt this year. He wasn't healthy. He wasn't ready. It's like... The, the, the excuses need to stop at some point. He's need, he needs to show up consistently and help Columbus win some games in, in, in a meaningful time like this. Let's not forget, this game and this series is being played in Toronto, right? The two hub cities are Toronto and Edmonton. So I'm going to give a slight, slight, slight home field advantage to the Toronto Maple Leafs. I mean, for God's sakes, it's in their own arena. They're, they're in their own locker room. Now, while they're not going home afterwards, that still has to count for something. Even if it's a slight, slight edge, it has to count for something. And Toronto certainly has the better star players. As a matter of fact, that's why everyone piles on Toronto all the time. During the playoffs, during these big games, they disappear. They honestly should be one of the better teams. They've got a great top two, uh, top two lines. They just need to show up in these bigger games. And they have the players to do it. Austin Matthews, Zach Hyman, William Nylander, John Tavares, Mitch Marner. I'm going through. It's like a fucking all-star roster. But they always drop the ball when it matters most. Or should I say uh, drop the puck when it matters most. This is a good opportunity for them, though, because I think they're getting a team in Columbus that is a little overrated. Columbus, like I said, had a good year. If you look at their stats, they're like one of the, I mean, Pythagorean base, they're a top 10 team. But I don't believe they're truly that good. And I think this layoff really hurt Columbus. I mean, that was the last thing they needed at that point in the season was a break. They were riding the momentum, playing so well, and then it all stops. Then it all shuts down. That was not what uh, what was going to help Columbus. Let's look at goalies. If Frederick Anderson struggles, Sheldon Keith may call on Jack Campbell. Okay, Jack Campbell, who played for the, the uh, uh, LA Kings last year, now with Toronto, He's had a very good season backing up Anderson. And if anything, Frederick Anderson has struggled mightily this year. I'm not sure why. I mean, the defensive stats don't suggest the defense got that much worse in front of him. He just has had a bad year. So the the, the leash may be very short for Frederick Anderson. If he struggles, if he does anything that, that leads Sheldon Keefe, the, the coach of the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs, to say, uh-uh, we're done, Jack Campbell may be, and he may start a couple games, which is weird because Anderson has always been so solid for so long. But as I said earlier, five-game series, weird things can happen. You're going to go with the hot goalie, which may be Jack Campbell. Uh, for Columbus, uh, uh, Corpusalo and Merzglins, very similar. Merzglins should get to start uh, uh, game one, but you know, I don't, I don't really 
put too much stock into who's going to start for them. Both above average goalies. I expect to see Merzglins in there. Uh, but I'm still going to give the slight nod to uh, Toronto because even though Frederick Anderson has struggled this season, if there's one goal in the league who I trust to turn it around, use this time off to think about what happened, Maybe he's been, you know, working out, practicing on a couple of his deficient areas. I like Anderson to maybe surprise some people and come back and really have a strong showing this playoffs. Having said all that, we're going to go Toronto minus one seventy for the series. I uh, this is one for the show, not a not a. I mean, look, it, Columbus certainly could show up, get a couple goals, and 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 make me eat my words. But I, I think that Toronto certainly wins this. The reason why this isn't a huge bet for me is minus one seventy. I think that's pretty. I mean, I'd probably make this around 175, 180. So it's, it's a very minimal value for Toronto. I think the sign's pretty right, but I think they win the series. Is that all for the East? Let's see. We have done Toronto, Columbus, Carolina, New York, Pittsburgh, Montreal. Yeah. And then we did the Islanders and Panthers. So that does it for the East. Let's get on to the Western Conference. Game one. This may be my best bet. Of the entire playoffs, unfortunately, the line has moved a little bit, but let's get into it. Edmonton Oilers and the Chicago Blackhawks. Let's start talking about a little. Let's start off talking about the rise of Edmonton. It was just a couple seasons ago. They were the laughing stock of the NHL, and it took a couple trades, a coaching change, get Dave Tippett in there, a couple really good draft picks, and before you know it, the Oilers are one of the better teams in the NHL. Now, I will take a little bit of credit here. Before the season started, we were talking about this because the Oilers were being priced as if they didn't do a goddamn thing in the offseason. And they were they were the cheapest, really good team I've ever seen in my life to start the year. We made, we made some money off Edmonton to start the season. And then the market caught up. It seemed like for a couple, you know, about two, three weeks, we had, we had an edge. Then the market caught up and started pricing Edmonton very properly. And then something weird happened. Then Edmonton lost a couple games. I mean, their dominance really didn't go away, but the market kind of started to, to fade once again. No one was talking about Edmonton. No one was talking about the Oilers. Yet, they kept playing as good, if not better, than they were earlier in the year. I believe if Edmonton was a different team, and I'm probably going to talk about this for a few teams today, but if Edmonton wore different jerseys, Let's say they switch jerseys with their opponents of the series and they weren't the Edmonton Oilers, but instead the same roster was called the Chicago Blackhawks. I bet they wouldn't be minus one. Uh, well, now they're 175. I bet they might, wouldn't be minus 175 this series. I bet they'd be minus 250. This is an unbelievable roster. This is an unbelievable coaching staff, but no one gives them credit because it's Edmonton and they're all used to seeing them lose. And on the other side, Chicago, if anything, drags that line down a little more because Chicago is one of the most public teams in the nation. Now, let's talk about the fall of Chicago. We just talked about the rise of Edmonton. Chicago, a couple years ago, was the NHL's darling. They were winning every... I mean, they, they were one of the better teams, so exciting to watch, one of the best cores in hockey, and now what you see is a bunch of old guys left over from that roster. Jonathan Taves, Duncan Keith, Seabrook's on the IR right now, Patrick Kane's still hanging around. So Chicago, I think their time is done. This may be the last playoff run for a lot of those guys I just named. Special teams will be a big factor in this series. Edmonton has a massive edge, and it's not even close. Edmonton is the number one le- uh, team in the league on the power play. They are the number one scoring team at almost 30%. Well, you may say, okay, that's fine, Tyler, but they're offensive. We know they have Dreisaitl, Connor McDavid. How do they do defensively? How do they do on the penalty kill? Oh, not too bad. They're number two overall in the penalty kill. I mean, it's crazy how good they are on, the, on special teams. Now, let's talk about Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl because this may be the best one-two combo in all of hockey. And while Lottie, before a lot of you start yelling at me and say, what do you mean maybe? It's definitely the best one-two combo in hockey. I think uh, 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 McKinnon and uh, Miko Rantanen may have something to say about that for the Colorado Avalanche. I really do. You know, And if you, if you put Gabe Landeskog in, the, in between those two, that's probably the best line in hockey. But Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, argument, right? They're in the argument for the best combo in the NHL. Connor McDavid, we all know about him, how good he is, but Leon Dreisaitl is actually the best player this year in Edmonton, and I would say the best player this year in the NHL. I mean, what a season this guy's had. He's leading Edmonton in all major categories. 
Usually, that it's so funny when you look at all of the major uh, scoring categories and you don't see Connor McDavid's name up there at all. It's really, really weird. But Leon Draisaitl deserves the credit. This guy is maybe the single most underrated player in the entire league. Yet on top of that, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, Kyler uh, Yamamoto, and by the way, Kyler Yamamoto, if he keeps playing the way he was this year, Edmonton should be unstoppable. Alex Chayson had a great year too. The depth on Edmonton is is unbelievable. Like I said earlier, if this were the Chicago Blackhawks and these teams switched jerseys, this line would be twice what it is now. That's why Edmonton is still one of my favorite bets in the entire playoffs leading up, or in, in the entire uh, 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 play-in game, or play-in series, whatever the hell you want to call it. Zach Cassian is going to be a next factor, right? Zach Cassian uh, for Edmonton, he's going to get into some physical matchups. We know that. But... Is Chicago going to be able to get under Zach Cassian's skin? That's going to be a big uh, question mark for me. The uh, a positive, if you're going for Edmonton this series, is Andrew Shaw will not be playing for Chicago. But you can still count on uh, the Blackhawks to agitate Cassian, trying to make him a distraction. I just don't think it's going to work. I, I mean, Chicago has to do pretty much everything right this series if it's going to go well for them. I really believe that. Now, luckily for Chicago, they have a do-it-all player, kind of like what Dreisaitl has been for Edmonton this year, in Patrick Kane. Kane is leading Chicago in all major categories. The difference, Edmonton doesn't need Leon Dreisaitl to have a huge series uh, to win. Chicago needs that from Kane. Obviously, there's John Taves, Dylan Strome, but I mean, this is the last playoff run for a lot of these old-time players, right? I believe it's Kane or bust for Chicago. If he doesn't have a big series, they don't have a chance. Overall, like I said, if this were another team, Edmonton would be far, far more expensive against the uh, the, the the Blackhawks. In net for Edmonton, very good situation. We've got Mike Smith and Miko Koskinen. I believe Miko Koskinen is the better goalie. I've thought that all year long, but for some reason, Mike Smith keeps getting put out there for big games. So I would assume we're going to see Mike Smith out there game one, but I, I hope, I hope that Dave Tippett is not hesitant to pull him if he messes up, makes some mistakes, things like that. I will say this, Mike Smith, a big question with him is endurance, right? He's an older goalie. With that layoff, that actually could add a lot to the ability for Mike Smith. So I like Koskinen, but with the layoff factor, I think these two goalies, both very, very good, are going to be just fine for Edmonton. And on the other side for, for Chicago, will Corey Crawford even play? Okay, Corey Crawford played one in, in the warm-up game. Corey Crawford played one and a half periods, and then Malcolm Subban came in and played one and a half periods. Corey Crawford's dealing with a nagging injury. If Crawford plays, there's no way he's going to be close to 100%. And if not, and Malcolm Subban goes, that's a huge downgrade for Chicago. So this is a pretty much a worst-case scenario for the Blackhawks. They are not in a good spot with their goalies. The style of play. Chicago likes offense. Chicago likes to skate up and down the ice. They give up shots. That's not going to be good if you're having an injured Corey Crawford back there or Malcolm Subban, especially a team like Edmonton who can capitalize. And Edmonton, they started the year with one of the most defensive mindsets. I mean, they came out and looked like the Islanders for a couple weeks, and then they kind of lost that. But I think this break helps them, similar to the Islanders, really. I think they come out of the gates ready to go. They're stressing defense. We saw that in, the, in their warm-up game. And if they really put an emphasis towards defense, they get a couple breaks on the power not a couple breaks, but they get a couple opportunities on the power play, this could be an ugly, ugly series for Chicago. So this is just an overall great matchup for Edmonton. The line has moved from minus 140 to minus 175, but we'll still take it. We're going Edmonton minus 175 for the series. All right, let's get on to the... What's next? What is next? Uh, Flames Jets. Calgary Flames and the Winnipeg Jets. Calgary, for those who've listened to the show now for a while... Calgary has been my fade team all year long. Now, let's explain that because I wasn't fading Calgary all year long because I don't like Calgary. We don't bet on teams here. We bet on numbers. The reason I was fading Calgary all year long is because I simply disagreed with the market. I had them far below where the market had them ranked. And if the market's going to keep marching them out there for those really expensive prices, I'm going to keep taking their opponents. So, Calgary was a team I faded this season. Again, not because I don't like them, but because they were consistently overpriced. The only problem this series is they're playing the Winnipeg Jets. 
So I'd like to say, oh, yeah, I keep fading Calgary, still have a price, but then there's Winnipeg, who if there's one thing Winnipeg's known for, it's playing really, really well during the regular season and then blowing it in the playoffs. Let's start off talking about style. Calgary, really nothing special. They they stress special teams, easy for me to say. They uh, stress defense. You know, they're a good structured team, but they don't do anything that really wows you. Meanwhile, Winnipeg, this is a high-paced offense. This this may be the most exciting team in the league, really. High-paced offense. They get up and down the ice at will, seemingly. It's just not great for this time of the year. Or this time of the year. The playoffs, I should say, right? Necessarily this time of the year. It's a weird time of the year. Uh, but the, during the playoffs, that, that offensive style doesn't really translate well. But I look at this season the opposite from how most NHL fans look at this year for Winnipeg. I think it's a good thing that Winnipeg hasn't stressed going all out in the regular season. At least they're learning. At least they're understanding this is a marathon, not a sprint. We saw the same thing from Tampa Bay last year. I mean, Tampa Bay wins the President's uh, Trophy a couple years ago, and then they're just shot for the playoffs. Then they learn, right? It seems like Winnipeg doing the same thing. They're learning how to win, learning it's a marathon. Now, if they can put it all together, have a great defensive showing, leaning on John Morrissey, Dylan DeMello, you know, Neil Neil Pionk, those kind of guys, they could really surprise some people and beat Calgary in this series. If Calgary wins, you can expect, obviously, a big series from Matthew Kachuk. Milan Lucic has not had a good year for Calgary at all. And I think it says a lot about Lucic, actually. Look at what happened after he left Edmonton. Edmonton's fine without him, and Calgary is, is arguably worse with him. Now, they're not going to count on him for offense, but they need to start counting on more players for offense. With Travis Hamnick out, which will impact the defense, things aren't looking good for the balance here for, for, for Calgary. Now, they did get some defenders at the deadline, but still, can we expect to see the same strong defense which will translate into offensive opportunities for Calgary? I don't think so, and I think the answer is likely not. And that's what Calgary is going to need to do if they're going to win the series. Have a great defensive showing. For Winnipeg, Mark Scheifele has had a fantastic year, kind of that breakout year, okay? Him and Kyle Connor have been fantastic, both with 73 points, both in the first line, both on the power play. I mean, they should have a big series. Pretty much Scheifele, you can chalk him up for getting point a game. Yeah, he's just, uh, he's just you know, rattling point a game off. Doesn't matter. He is, he's probably going to have the best series. I would project Scheifele to lead the Jets in points when this series is all said and done. But like other offensive teams who are deep at forward, they don't necessarily need those guys to do all the scoring. They've got Blake Wheeler, uh, uh, Nicola Ellers, Patrick Laine, right? So Winnipeg, if I think it's all about mindset with them. If they approach this, like it's the playoffs, which it pretty much is. If they stress defense, if they're not all about getting up and down and these players getting their points, I think Winnipeg could be a very similar team to maybe an Edmonton, but it's just about the mindset and the structure on defense. In goal, Calgary has Matt Talbot and David Riddick. Both very similar, but I'd say Talbot had a better year. Uh, But Riddick's actually better, and endurance has always been an issue for Riddick. So now that we have the endurance, it's kind of similar to to Mike Smith, right? We just talked about him. It's very similar. If, If Riddick has three games in four nights, or he, he, he's stringing a bunch of games together, I, I, you know, he, he, he gets shot very easily. But given the layoff, given the fresh legs, we could see Riddick play most of these games. So I think Riddick is actually the better goalie. Uh, and with the endurance there, I would not be surprised if he got the nod. And for Winnipeg, Connor Hellebuck, 92.2 save percentage, one of the best in the NHL. He should win the Vesna Trophy. And backing him up is Lauren Rossois. But look, Hellebuck should see most, if not all the games. He's probably the best goalie this year. If not, I mean, he's certainly top three, right? You can't argue that. One of the best goalies. If they change their mindset, able to score some points, or some goals, I like Winnipeg in this series. They are also the underdog. Like I just said, we don't bet teams, we bet numbers. I can get the Jets right now. Plus 120 market consensus. That's what we're going to do. Winnipeg Jets are the pick there. Plus 120. And this is this is a medium pick. You know, I have a little bit of money on this one. Uh, I, I like this one. We're going Winnipeg Jets. Mine is, or uh, excuse me, plus 120. All right, we got two series left here. Vancouver, Minnesota, and Arizona, Nashville. Let's save uh, Arizona, Nashville for the end. I kind of like that one. 
Um, well, I actually have bets. These are both pretty big bets for me to end the show. So I do like these uh, next two series a lot. Uh, Vancouver versus Minnesota. For Vancouver, it's been a weird year, right? It's like been the tale of two seasons. Before Markstrom got hurt, and then after Markstrom got hurt. That's kind of the dividing the dividing mark there for, for Vancouver. Before Markstrom was hurt, they were trending to win their division. They were a top three team in special teams, top 10 offense, top five defense, and then it all fell apart. Pretty quickly, actually. The break was the best thing that could happen to Vancouver. A young team who needed to regroup and desperately needed to get healthy, and now they've got uh, Markstrom back. They're going to play completely different. It's so funny. You see this all the time in hockey. Teams play different when different goalies are behind them. You would think defense is pretty consistent game to game. Doesn't matter who's in net, but that's not the case. And I think with such a young roster, they rely on having that sort of uh, uh, safety net behind them. And Markstrom's back and healthy. That's a big factor for Vancouver. Minnesota, on the other hand, has largely relied on their defense this year. They are the third worst overall in terms of their goalie save percentage. They have not gotten good performances this year from their goalies. And they're a top 10 team for shots allowed per game. So they're not allowing a lot of shots, okay? That's not a good scenario for a playoff situation. Again, to repeat that, Minnesota's goalies are the third worst overall in the league, but they're top 10 in shots allowed per game. Suffocating defense in front of mediocre goaltending. Right? That's pretty much what we're saying. Minnesota can rely on some of their forwards, Eric Stahl, Kevin Fiala, Zach Parise, but they're lacking that depth that a team like Vancouver can really take advantage of. And Vancouver doesn't need to worry about depth at all. First line, Bo Horvat, Brock Bozier, Tanner Pearson. Second line, JT Miller, Elias Pettersson, Tyler Toffoli. I mean, stacked, completely stacked. Minnesota is 25th in the penalty kill while Vancouver is fourth in the power play. Minnesota may want to stay out of the box this series. And the goalie edge has to go to Vancouver as well. We mentioned Jacob Markstrom, okay? How good he can be. How, And it's not just on the stat sheet, right? How he changes the game for the defense and the defensive approach. He is a rock for Vancouver. Minnesota, on the other hand, is dealing with a, a, a shit show. Devin Dubnik had a terrible season for him, and they he should probably be the starter here, but I don't think he's going to be. They may go with Alex Stalock. Now, Stalock was starting to put it together before the break, but really both these guys were very, very, very mediocre this year, if not way below mediocre. Again, to repeat, third worst overall collective goalie save percentage in the league. That's not good for a team who's in the playoffs. This seems to me like to be the one series without a true contender. Every other series, I can see one of the two teams finding a way in the playoffs and then finding a way to win, really. Both Vancouver and Minnesota, once they get in the playoffs, I don't see either team doing much damage. But for this series, we're going to go Vancouver, minus 120. Guys, if this is priced anywhere around minus 110, minus 120, I think it's just heavily, heavily underpriced. I believe Vancouver should be around minus 160, right? So, Minus 120, Vancouver, a lot of value. I'm taking them to win the series. And last but not least, what a show today. Man, we are going. We are zooming through these. Uh, Arizona Coyotes and the Nashville Predators. And the Coyotes are actually really similar to the Edmonton Oilers in the way that they're so underrated all the time. I mean, if they just wore a different jersey, they would get so much more love from the hockey community, from NHL fans, but they just don't. I like Arizona. I think they play very solid hockey. They've gonna done a great job building from within the organization, bringing in free agents. You know, I think the coaching staff and, and the, the, the management office get along very well. You look at Taylor Hall, who's really having a good season. I mean, he's finally putting it together, but it's really Garlano and Schmaltz who are having the, the best seasons, kind of filling the stat sheet up. But overall, very good, pretty deep up front. You know, they, they, they've got some star power. I like Arizona. Nashville, on the other hand, has actually underperformed this year. Matt Duchesne has not had a great season. Victor Arvidsson was projected to score many more points. But guys like Philip Forsberg and their great 2A defender, Roman Yossi, have kept the offense going. I think for Nashville, Kyle Turris is going to be the X-factor this series. He had 31 points in the regular season. He can blow up. So if he does go off, that could be a very good thing for Nashville. 
Arizona, however, will have an advantage this series in the special teams, specifically the power play. While Arizona is average scoring on the power play, I mean, they're, they're a slightly above average team, Nashville is third worst in the league at killing penalties off. Nashville's really struggled with that all season long. And Nashville can't score at all on their own power play. So Nashville is just abysmal on special teams. It's not that Arizona is typically great or, or, or necessarily great at any one given thing. Uh, for special teams, but Nashville's so bad that Arizona has to have the advantage here. Arizona will have an edge. If Nashville goes to the box too often, look for the Coyotes to take advantage. And Arizona shouldn't be penalized if they get penalized. What I mean by that is, if they spend some time in the box, it's not like Nashville's just going to all of a sudden turn the switch and start scoring all these different goals in the power play. Nashville has not been good on special teams this year, and that is a major concern in a five-game series. You do, however, have to give Nashville an experience edge. They have so many players, so many coaches who have been in, in, in situations like this, while Arizona simply hasn't. I mean, Arizona hadn't been in the playoffs in eight years. A lot of their roster hasn't seen a, a game like this. A lot of the coaching staff hasn't seen a game like this. So experience edge does go to Nashville. Let's look at the goalies. Uh, a huge edge here for Arizona. Arizona's got anti-Ranta and Darcy Kemper. Maybe the best one-two combo in the entire NHL for goalies. They are fantastic. Darcy Kemper, 16-11-2 uh, on the year with a 92.8 save percentage. Antti Ranta, 15-14-3 with a 92.1 save percentage. So, certainly great goaltending. Whoever they go with, I hope they go uh, uh, Darcy Kemper because I think he's going to give them a slightly better chance to win. Uh, but still, I mean, whoever they go, they shouldn't have to worry about that at all. For Nashville, Pecorine, Jose Saros, look, they're equally average, okay? That, that's kind of where I put these guys, and they have been throughout the year. Now, Saros should get the nod, but I could see either going game one. Arizona, major goaltending edge, and they did rely on their goaltending a lot of the, for, the, for the year, okay? So let's, let's, let's not just brush over this fact. Arizona gave up a lot of shots this year. They just had very, very good goaltending. Is that going to hold up in a five-game series? You know, I'm not so sure. That's part of the handicapping. If you guys think so, great. If you don't think so, that's going to add to your handicap. But we can't ignore the fact that Arizona, it's not like they played great defense all year long. They were an average defense that gave up a lot of shots. Their goalies just came up huge. So if their goalies have a big series, Arizona should win this. If Nashville can find a way to score on Arizona and elevate this game to where it's not so defensive... I think that Nashville could have a chance, but I see Arizona. I see Arizona having more ways to win this. I think they have more advantages in the, advantages in the series. And if uh, Nashville, like I said, goes to the box and there's a lot of penalties, that certainly favors Arizona. So we're going to go the underdog here: Arizona Coyotes plus one twenty for the series. And I do like that bet. I made that bet. All right, so that does it for uh, the NHL preview. Let's go through each pick one more time for you guys, let you know who we like. Arizona, plus 120 over Nashville. Vancouver, minus 120 over Minnesota. And for those who weren't listening for the last 45 minutes, these are all series prices, not game prices, series prices. Vancouver, minus 120 over Minnesota. Uh, the Jets, come on out and meet the Jets. Winnipeg Jets, plus 120 over Calgary. Uh, Edmonton Oilers, minus 175 over Chicago. Toronto, minus 170 over Columbus. New York Rangers, plus 130 over Carolina. The Pittsburgh Penguins, minus 225 over Montreal. And the New York Islanders, minus 115 over the Florida Panthers. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Good luck on these games. We'll talk to you tomorrow on The Sharp Angle. This is The Sharp Angle. Every day on your favorite podcast player.